Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here again with Glossy's international fashion reporter, Zofia Zviglinska, joining us from London. How are you, Zofia? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. And you have another title I should add, which is Top Voices on LinkedIn, Top Voice on LinkedIn in Fashion and Beauty, right? <laughs> yeah, um, as of yesterday, I am apparently a creator now or an influencer, um, according to LinkedIn, and yet yeah, among some very distinguished and notable guests in that list. Um, so very happy about that. Well, you you are a top voice. We were we were joking about it, but I think it's true. I mean, you're you're very insightful. <laughs> you also post on LinkedIn way more than I do, so that that that's I, probably I do go a, plus. a little bit nuts on there. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think that it's just easier to control the narrative that way. Yeah. Uh, so this week we're going to be talking about Kanye West and his ongoing feuds with his various brand partners, which we've written a little bit about on Glossy, but there's been some more. So we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about the bloodbath of promotions and discounts that brands are expecting through the end of the year and all the inventory problems they're having. And then finally, we're going to talk about the energy crisis in Europe and how that's going to affect the fashion industry. But let's start with Kanye, um, also known as Ye. So I I wrote about this a couple of times, but um, obviously he's got these two huge brand partnerships with Adidas, the Yeezy sneakers are made by Adidas, and the Yeezy Gap line, which just launched last year. I think it was two weeks ago, he posted a fake newspaper headline announcing the death of Adidas CEO Kaspar Rorsted, um, who is not dead, by the way, he's alive. Um, but then throughout this past week, Kanye has continued to post very angrily about both Adidas and Gap, um, airing all sorts of grievances. Most of them had to do with sort of his feeling of being cut out from decision-making. So he was angry that Adidas had uh, recolored and released shoes without his approval. He accused them of stealing ideas he had for Yeezy and using them elsewhere at Adidas. Uh, and he also said that they tried to buy him out of Yeezy entirely for a billion dollars, but he refused and said that his royalties for one year of Yeezy are like $500 million. So it's like kind of a low ball given how much money Yeezy makes. So we'll, we can, we'll get to Gap in a second, but just starting there, Sophia, what, what are your thoughts on this whole situation? Like, obviously, Yeezy is huge and the, the sneakers are like an absolute like mainstay of the sneaker industry now, but also it's like feels like it's just constant, like, bad press a little bit for, for Adidas. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's weird because obviously if you partner with a celebrity and they're very outspoken on social media, you know, it can also include any kind of business news um, or things that maybe, you know, as a brand, you probably don't want to be announced publicly. I think that this marks a really interesting point in the kind of celebrity and, you know, I guess designer as well, because obviously he kind of touts himself as a designer in his own right. And I think that that kind of goes to show that, you know, Adidas needs to make a little bit more of a change in the way I approach these kind of personalities. Um, I think that having him you know, talk about it so publicly um, might might just shift the the kind of perception as to what other kind of partnerships will be looking like. Like, is any of this true? Like, did Adidas, you know, do things without his permission? Um, are there other products that they've kind of released without, you know, his approval, even though they've, they're his ideas? It, it brings up all of those kind of issues around IP law and, you know, kind of ownership rights with designs. Like, that's something that I've seen in the industry for a really long time. And 
honestly never quite at this scale so i'd be surprised if it was true but you never know yeah and one thing that's notable about the about his partnerships with both Adidas and Gap is like, he's definitely more than just a, a like celebrity, you know, he's not just like an ambassador or something. Like he's the ap- actual like creator of these lines. And I think both Adidas and Gap have a much more entwined relationship with him than, um, I don't know, I, I can't even think of another example, but it's it's not like they can just drop him and get like a new face of the, the line or whatever. He's like the creator. Um, so it, it think it's a little bit tougher for them. It's, it's advantageous because he's got such a specific vision that like really resonates with people. Like it makes them a lot of money, but it also, you know, leads to stuff like this where he is both, uh, you know, like he's deeply entwined with, with them. He is deeply entwined with Yeezy. It's really hard to just like take Kanye out of Yeezy. Um, but and also he is very public. I mean, as a as a journalist, I appreciate it because it's like them trying to buy him out for a billion dollars, if that's true, is like something they would never put out there publicly. They would never like say that. So I'm I'm happy that we know about it just for it makes my job a little easier. Um on on the gap side, he also uh you know had similar criticisms where he said Gap had been having meetings without him, um, and that he's been asking them to open stores just for the Yeezy Gap line instead of just having a section of a Gap store with Yeezy in it. Like he, he wants them. And he said, and, and I think he said the same thing about Adidas where he was promised Yeezy stores rather than just Yeezy being sold in Adidas stores. And neither brand has done that. There are no Yeezy specific stores that I know of. So um, what, what do you think about that? Like, is that, do you feel like that's something that they could conceivably give him? Like, could you see a Yeezy store existing? Or is that just like, I, I think feel like it goes against both of those brands kind of like stated retail strategy a little bit. Yeah, definitely. You know, I could understand, I think, if, you know, you wanted to kind of do the same format as you would for drops, you know, you'd have the same format for pop-ups where there's like a limited store opening for a certain time. You get to experience it for just a little bit and then that experience goes away. But again, that would need testing on the Gap side, also on the Adidas side. Like that would just be kind of like an in-between stage rather than a dedicated retail space, which usually again needs a lot of investments. You know, how that fares in the current climate when brands are trying to probably save on certain costs. Um, opening retail locations is expensive uh, and you know I'm not sure if there would be enough of a a payoff when so much of the the kind of drop model has been relegated to online and I think that's what customers expect yeah for sure I mean I'm pretty sure Gap has said that like one of their plans for this year and next is to close stores like I don't think they want to open any stores at the moment so um, yeah I don't but I don't know again it's hard to kind of like take everything that Kanye West says at face value. Maybe this is all like, you know, he says that they promised him that they would open Yeezy stores. Maybe that's not true, but um, it does feel like uh, far-fetched to me that they will do that at, at this point. Although, and we talked about this on the podcast, me and Jill, but like when they did put the the a Yeezy section within a Gap store a couple of weeks ago, it was like weird because it totally clashed like aesthetically and functionally, like it looked like a completely different store within the store. It was like this weird industrial dystopian section, but then like five feet away was just like the regular gap, like khakis and stuff. Like it it was like very tonally weird. So like it might be good to kind of separate them out, but I just, I can't see them like 
totally changing their plan to only close stores just to kind of make him happy. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Honestly, I think that, you know, that that kind of pop-up format might be the most interesting. I get that if there is a clash, it's going to probably limit the amount of like cool customers that um, might be able to enter a gap. You know, if you have to walk through a whole kind of a line or aisle of, of car keys and, and jumpers um, to get to Yeezy, it might kind of take away a little bit of that cool factor. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, let's move on and talk about promotions. So this is something I feel like I've heard. I'm kind of I'm kind of bringing together things I've heard from a couple of different brands recently. But um, most recently, earlier this week, um, American Eagle had their earnings and they revealed a $42 million loss. Um, and one of the things they attributed that to was excess inventory, which in turn meant they had to reduce prices to sell that inventory, which meant lower profit margins. Um, I feel like I have seen multiple people tell me that they expect throughout the rest of the year excess inventory and in turn like increased discounts and promotions is going to be a huge thing especially for brands in the sort of American Eagles like price range or space like not luxury brands kind of just more more mass brands um David Hain who's the CEO of Urban um and Urban Outfitters a couple weeks ago on their earnings said that he expected quote a bloodbath of uh promotions and and discounts and stuff um, what, what have you heard, been hearing over in, uh, in, in Europe and the UK, Zofia, like, do you feel like discounts and promotions and excess inventory is, is an issue there too? I mean, I think it might even be less. So, um, I guess there's quite a few still mass re- retailers, but maybe there's less of a presence from, you know, brands like American Eagle. Um, although I do think that there are some brands who are opening at the new Battersea Center, um, which is like this new shopping center in the old Battersea power station. Um, so I think maybe the environment here is a little bit different. Um, I don't think that there's quite as many kind of pushes towards promotion that I've seen, like either on the high street or in, in the conversations that I've had with um, various industry leaders over the last couple of weeks. But I do think it might be coming. It de- kind of depends, you know, how that works into everything else that is kind of going on in UK and Europe. But we'll see. I think at the moment it is more um, about, you know, managing that supply chain planning for um, all those kind of losses. And I think maybe it's more of a retrospective thing rather than a thing going forward. But maybe those environments are different. I mean, you know. They probably are. Yeah, definitely. So I I pulled some numbers from the American Eagle earnings that I think kind of illustrate this. So um, in the last quarter, that you know they were going through some of the reasons their operating income was a lot lower. It says um, a thirty million dollar impact from selling off excess inventory at the end of the season. So promotions alone, thirty million dollars, twenty five million dollars from higher freight costs. And then also $9 million loss from Quiet Logistics, which is their like air shipping company that they bought recently, which I, I thought that the narrative had sort of been that that was a good buy for them, that it had, or I think within a couple of months of them buying it, it was already like contributing pretty significantly to their revenue. Um, and now they said they lost almost $10 million from it. So I'm not sure what exactly is happening there, but it does feel like the various supply chain issues and freight costs and inventory management stuff is just like decimating a lot of companies. Um, Macy's, uh, another American company, also cut its expected profits. And they, interestingly, they cited excess inventory and promotions, obviously, but specifically in 
um, casual and athleisure clothing, um, which is another interesting and kind of unexpected turn in in my opinion, because um, on the one hand, obviously luxury brands and or luxury product is going to sell well or higher end stuff. Um, but like, again, the narrative I think has been that athleisure is, is doing well and, and comfort wear and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm surprised to see that a little bit. Um, what do you think, Sophia? Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite interesting to see that whole focus on casual and athleisure because obviously that was a massive, um, you know, buy for brands during the pandemic. Maybe it's become less so over the summer as people have kind of more shifted to experiences rather than kind of working out or staying at home. Um, so perhaps that, you know, maybe that lack of preparedness for what was to come maybe that's something that contributed to, you know, the the Macy's figures and also the excess inventory that they're holding. Um, I do think, you know, again, this makes another great point for the uses of technology within this space, like planning inventory um, for, you know, future seasons is something that is a massive problem for brands. If, you know, the losses that are kind of associated with excess inventory at, at this rate, like making sure that those predictive models are at the best point that they can be is is like a crucial point. If you're talking about, you know, $30 million um, for sell-offs, it's, it's a huge loss for the company. And if it could be mitigated in some way through technology, I think now's the right time to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's move on to our last topic. So, Sophia, you might have a little bit more expertise than I do, but I'll give a quick summary and, and then let me know if I miss anything. So, basically, I'm sure many of our listeners have heard this already, but there is an energy crisis in, in Europe at the moment for a number of reasons. Um, the big one is that uh, a lot of the European continent gets cheap natural gas from Russia, and those pipelines have been like not completely cut off, but very severely restricted. I think Russian import, like imports of Russian oil or gas into Europe fell by like 90%, um, obviously in response to various sanctions against Russia for the invasion of Ukraine. Um, but it's not just that, because I think there's also, um, you know, the heat waves and droughts have reduced hydroelectric power. Um, and there's a strain on energy grids just from people trying to like stay cool and stuff. There's there's a lot of things going on beyond just the, the Russian pipeline stuff. Um, before we get into the implications, Sophia, am I, am I missing any nuance or detail there? Um, no, I don't think so. I think we might just want to include that for the UK, you know, the energy price um, increases were going to be quite significant from next month, and they were going to be both affecting you know, um, both households and families, but also businesses. I think there's already been talks of some, um, you know, gastronomy and restaurants and that kind of business talking about the impact that would have on their business. Um, I haven't seen that much yet from brands, but I know it was a key point that has been um, reiterated, you know, in the lead up to the new prime minister who came in, you know, this week. Um, and as of today, the the price um kind of energy increases, they have been capped. Um, so they've been capped to an average of £2,500 a year. And that also applies to businesses um, who would be receiving help from the government um, over the winter. So I think that there's been some mitigation from what I've read. It's not quite enough. Um, there's still quite a significant increase. Um, so I'm wondering how, you know, brands will be able to, again, cover for those costs after already, you know, being affected by supply chain issues, rising freight 
um, prices. It just seems like a lot of costs that they're going to have to absorb. It does feel like, and and it's felt like this a little bit for the last couple of months, but even like the last two years, like just crisis mm. upon crisis, you know, it feels like there's <laughs> stuff happening all the time in several different yeah. ways. Um, have you uh, felt any personal like impact from this? Like, has it affected you yet as an individual? No, I don't think so. I think honestly, we've, you know, in a sense, been quite lucky up till this point. I guess lucky. Um, UK has been experiencing probably one of its first major heat waves last summer. So the uses of, you know, gas and electricity have significantly reduced, I think, for most people over the summer. But coming up to winter and, you know, the the kind of vast storm season that we're seeing right now, I think that there's going to be quite a lot of an impact. It, it you know, it always it always has an impact on vulnerable communities, but also on just regular people too. So I'm I'm fully expecting that that is still going to have to be something that, you know, people like me are going to have to deal with. Yeah, for sure. Well, like you said, I think it's still a little early to see a lot of like specific responses from brands. But one thing that I have heard, and, and I think you can kind of see it already, is that it's really like messing with a lot of like traditional relationships or or like structures within the EU. I saw that like France sends electricity to Germany and Germany exports natural gas to France and now it's the opposite. Like that is that has reversed. France is sending gas to Germany and Germany's exporting electricity to France. Um, and uh, there's a, a an organization called Eurotex, which is representing various EU textile companies who talked about how the different kind of the contradictory national policies between all the different EU uh, members um, about how to handle this energy crisis is kind of like fracturing the the single market, you know, like it's it's turning the EU kind of into a little bit more of a mess than it usually is. One of the strengths, I think, of the EU is that it's this unified thing, obviously. And, and so might be a little bit before we see like more specific impacts and reactions and and responses from fashion brands, but already like, especially for luxury brands where there's so many based in like France and Italy, um, I feel like just the the messing with like the EU's, the EU countries' relationships with each other and the import-export relationships, I feel like will certainly have some sort of impact in, in the next couple months. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mean, granted, a lot of these luxury houses have diversified their supply chains. So it's not all based in France and Italy like it used to. Um, But I do think that, you know, this is going to have international kind of reverberations, the whole kind of cutting off of um, the gas supply chain from Russia has affected many businesses. And it's not just in Europe, it's also in China and places where production is, you know, at an all-time high. Um, I think that that's something that brands will have to reckon with as well. You know, again, rising costs, suppliers kind of demanding that they're the ones um, who are going to be absorbing those. So I fully expect to see more price increases for brands. And I'm wondering how that's going to, you know, reflect in, are they going to be raising prices? Um, Is this going to be something that's going to affect their business significantly? Are they going to move production um, to different areas? It's quite a, yeah, volatile time. 
For sure. And I'm I'm sure that in the coming weeks, you and I will both be writing about this because I cover <laughs> a lot of supply chain stuff and you cover a lot of European stuff. So between the two yeah. of us, there will be there will be stories about this on Glossy. Um, okay, I think we're going to call it there. This has been such a fun conversation. Also, we should mention before we go that we're recording this on Thursday. Um, tomorrow, I think I will be writing my first New York Fashion Week briefing of the season. <laughs> and then all through this weekend and next week, Glossy's going to have tons of New York Fashion Week coverage. Um, we'll have a Week in Review special episode about um, New York Fashion Week with me and Jill next week. Sophia, you're going to be covering London Fashion Week, and we'll talk about that in two weeks. Um, mm -hmm. There's just going to be a lot of Fashion Month coverage on, on Glossy between the site and the podcast, so you can all look forward to that. In the meantime, if you want to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, that really does help us out a lot. Um, and you should also consider subscribing if you're not already a subscriber because uh, you get to hear the Week in Review episodes every Friday. Um, usually me and Jill or me and Sophia or sometimes me and other reporters from the Glossy team. And of course, every Wednesday, Jill interviews some cool industry insider. Um, but until then, thank you all for listening.